0: Welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast, where we talk about how medieval and medieval-inspired movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world. What do they get right? What do they get wrong? And what do they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah Ifdecker, a medieval historian, and today I'm joined once again by Media Evil's resident Doctor Who expert, Elizabeth Bonneman, to talk about season 26 serial, Battlefield. So Elizabeth, Welcome.
1: Yes, uh, it's great to be back. This remains my biggest claim to fame.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, do you want to go ahead and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and about uh, why you keep coming on to talk about Doctor Who, just in case this is anybody's first episode?
1: Sure. I, a while back, uh, was talking to Sarah and found out that she had never seen an episode of Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. Doctor Who, being a time travel show, has gone to the has gone to the Middle Ages a few dozen times in the course of the show's almost 60-year history. Uh, So (laughs) there's a lot of content that I keep coming back to cover. (laughs) I know more about Doctor Who than almost anyone I know, so there we are.
0: Yeah, and I have now seen several serials of Doctor Who.
1: This one is our sixth
0: right? I believe so, yes. Uh, There does seem to be uh, one doctor whom I have missed entirely.
1: Uh, Two of them, actually, but we'll go back and uh, we'll go back and catch one when we get into the audio dramas, which will be next, which will be our next, uh, our next episode. So foreshadowing. exciting yeah
0: but yes so but the last episode or i watched or the last serial i watched was i believe the fifth doctor and uh we are now in battlefield up to the seventh doctor yes so yeah so this is uh season 26 it came out in i think september of 1989
1: yep this is the last season of the classic series before before the show was canceled in the in the mid 80s like from about 84 to 87 like the show was hit with some uh just some troubled production like producers fighting executives mm-hmm. like poor writing issues and it and it really hurt the show uh in 88 yeah. they brought on a new showrunner named Andrew Cartmel who was frankly brilliant and i would say mm-hmm. the best showrunner the show has had but mm-hmm. it was but even then it was too late to, sh- to save the show from cancellation, but, uh-huh. but this is from, this is from the Cartmel years, so it's, it's quite good. Okay,
0: yeah, so this stars, uh, Sylvester McCoy as the seventh doctor, as well as we have, uh, one companion, so that is Sophie Eldred as Ace, who is, I think, my new favorite companion, but we Ace... will talk more about her as we go on.
1: Ace is, Ace is definitely one of my favorites, um, not in this serial, but the, but the one moment that always springs to mind is the, is the time that uh, she wailed on a Dalek with a baseball bat because it called her small. Uh, Good for her. Yeah.
0: This one also stars Nicholas Courtney as Brigadier Alistair Lethbridge-Stewart, who I gather I am supposed to know who he is from uh, context clues in this episode.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Brigadier uh, holds the distinction of being the compa- the one companion to have had adventures with all eight classic Doctors. Oh wow! Um, he was he was mostly uh, companion of the Third Doctor, but uh, this is this is his adventure with seven back during the Third Doctor years. And I this and I'm sure I went over at least some of this back when we talked about the Time Warrior, mm-hmm. which was our Third Doctor installment. Yes. Uh, The third Doctor was exiled to Earth by the Time Lords, and so he started working with UNIT, the United Nations Intelligence Task Force, which is this uh, international military task force that deals with alien invasion stuff, which this is Doctor Who, so that happens like every week. Um, (laughs) The Brigadier uh, was the head of UNIT, And so he didn't really travel in the TARDIS so much as, like, the Doctor would pop back to Earth, like, every couple seasons. Well, he was on Earth continuously as the third Doctor, and then, like, later incarnations would pop back every couple seasons to help him out with Mm -hmm. the alien menace of the week. Okay. Uh, But he and the Doctor have a long history with each other. In the Fifth Fifth Doctor's era, he had retired from unit to, you know, because he was getting old and, uh, mm-hmm. and he became a math teacher. And at the start of this serial, he's also retired from that. But hearing that the doctor is in the area uh, convinces him to put on his uniform one more time and get in on the adventure again.
0: Yes, to the uh, chagrin of his wife, for, for Doris. Yeah. I'll also just mention a couple more people in the cast, which includes Angela Bruce as Brigadier Winifred Vimbera, Ling yeah. Tai as Shu Young, Jean Marsh as Morgaine, Christopher Bowen as Mordred, and Marcus Gilbert as that famed Arthurian hero Anselin.
1: Yes. One note I will say uh, this is not Jean Marsh's first Doctor Who appearance.
2: Mm. Her
1: first appearance was way back in season three, not Ooh. as more not as Morgaine, but as a but as an actual companion named Sarah Kingdom. Uh,
0: oh, huh.
1: Yeah, she wasn't around for very long. Um, so in, in season three, there was a the second longest serial in the show's history, the 12th episode, The Dalek's Master Plan. The Doctor went into that serial with two companions, gained two along the course of that serial, and at the end of it, the only people left alive were the Doctor and Stephen. So, oh, Stephen! yeah. one of the and and yeah and so the two that joined in that serial were sarah kingdom and brett Vian. brett Vian was played by a young nicholas courtney two years before he would he would uh, be introduced in his far more famous role as then colonel lethbridge stewart
0: interesting
1: yeah so since that serial is set in the future when morgane mm-hmm. tells the brigadier that that uh when next we meet i will kill you well that's kind of what happens with sarah kingdom and brett Viant.
0: oh that's so interesting yeah oh that's fun huh so yeah something something that i very much did not pick up on uh, not There's, having seen that serial but there are interesting. there are
1: an, well <laughs> You, you wouldn't be able to these days because it's one of the ones that like has several episodes that are just lost mm-hmm. 65 the BBC didn't keep, take good care of their tapes but there are a few there are several other continuity nods in this serial that I will point out when we get to them
0: so yeah so at this point now we can uh get into our enumeratio or recap. The and the serial actually begins with uh, Alistair and Doris and I was very worried about them because I didn't know that he was the person that we were supposed to know so I was just like oh this is the couple at the beginning of the serial who's gonna get killed by the aliens <laughs> and then we're never gonna see them again
1: no no he's important and she's she was I don't actually know if she's appeared before but I know that she's been mentioned as like mm-hmm. uh as like you know, the brigadier's girlfriend who, like, I, I think he wasn't married to her when we last heard of her, which is why the doctor is, is so pleased when he finds out that they tied the knot.
0: Right, yeah, because he comments up on that at the end, like, oh, you did it to marrying Doris. <laughs> we also see a sword that is glowing, which is also never uh, bodes well in the Doctor Who universe. And meanwhile, the Doctor and his companion Ace are trying to figure out what's going on. I'm not sure this is quite my favorite Doctor, but the question mark vest is pretty epic.
1: Yeah. The, as the a question, look. the question mark vest is great, along with the uh, question mark umbrella. Yes. Yeah. This the Seventh Doctor. The way that most Doctors approach like situations is like heavy improv, like mm-hmm. like. The classic Indiana Jones, I am making this up as I go. The seventh doctor is the only one who is capable of planning ahead um, <laughs> and he's and he's got kind of this chess master vibe that i that mm-hmm. I enjoy like he's 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 got this kind of like wheels within wheels. I have master plans, and I never fully let them on to anyone, including Ace, who is mm-hmm. at the center of many of them, in fact. He does he does genuinely care about her but like also like she is at the center of his wheels within wheels master plan things.
0: And I will say one of the things that I did like is that he does seem to respect her abilities as well as to care about her which I liked because there is sometimes a vibe with some of the, doctors and especially his female companions of like being a little bit dismissive you know which is uh, you know a problem of the like 60s to 80s uh yeah yeah
1: no this is th- by this point in the show like things are really like all those complaints you've had in prior serials are really starting to like be addressed like ace yeah. is the first companion who is allowed to be written as openly queer um mm-hmm. She is a uh, spunky teenage uh, explosives enthusiast.
0: Yes, um, I love
1: her so much. The doctor does not approve of this hobby, except when it comes in handy. <laughs> mm-hmm. he but,
0: acknowledges her expertise.
1: Like there's a, there's a line in an earlier serial, like she, she makes this homemade explosive called Nitro-9. And, he, and, and the doctor says, Ace, you're not carrying any Nitro-9, are you? Of course not. I'm a good girl. I do what I'm told. Good. <laughs> Blow up that building. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, she's she is excellent they land near Lake Vortigern as the hoarse voice in the background says Merlin <laughs> uh, so we we've got our hint already that there's some uh, Arthurian things happening but we do arrive in what is clearly uh, modernity we've got uh, we've got a kind of military car driving along
1: yeah the, the general the general accepted convention with unit stories is they take place a few years years in the in the near future so like mm-hmm. th- this was aired in 89 so it's set sometime in the 90s
0: and it seems you know other than the fact that we clearly have a uh, military unit that like knows all about aliens other than that it yeah. seems pretty much you know yeah about certainly could be late 80s certainly could be late early 90s yeah
1: they, they do make an inflation joke later on which i enjoyed <laughs> <laughs>
0: The military people do not stop to pick up the doctor and ace who are attempting some hitchhiking, uh, but a the next car does and this turns out to be oh I think his name is Mr. Peter Worm Peter Wormsley.
1: Yes, Peter Wormsley.
0: Yeah. And to see Mr. or Doctor. I don't remember. Um,
1: I don't know if that's established.
0: Uh yeah. I don't remember. Then I just it. call him Wormsley, yeah. Sure, Cuz I'm like, sure. I feel like if you're if you are, I mean I'm not quite sure exactly he's like site manager for this archaeological dig. So I'm like, do you have a piece it, But it also know.
1: it also seems more like a hobby thing for him. Yeah. Like,
0: yeah. He
1: doesn't seem to know all that much.
0: Right. Right. That's true. But yeah, that might explain some things if he's sort of a hobbyist as opposed to uh, perhaps in a uh, professional. Mhm. The area also seems to be a military blast testing site, and from a blast arises a knight in full medieval armor. Definitely not Arthurian-era armor, (laughs) but armor nonetheless. Yeah. uh, We see a lot of uh, the uh, the kind of knight uh, wandering about... And meanwhile the military people seem to be basically aware already of uh, the doctor. So I guess this is because the doctor does have this long history with unit, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. The, the the specific uh like people who were like the main like the core of unit that when the doctor was with them have probably retired because it's been, you know, 15ish years. Like the brigadiers retired. And at one point, the Brigadier mentions Sergeant Benton, uh, who was Mm -hmm. also with UNIT back in those days, who, not in this serial, but in an earlier, but in uh, Modern Undead, which is the one where uh, he had retired and become a maths teacher, he mentions that Benton ended up becoming a car salesman, I believe. Okay. Like, that's a thing to do after your retirement, sure. Uh (laughs)
0: Yeah, why not? You know, why not, buddy? Why not? Uh
1: Can't be a soldier forever. <laughs> Brigadier Bambera has not heard of the doctor, but uh, Sergeant Zbigniew has.
0: Yes. And dis- and described situation as basically that all hell breaks loose when he shows up.
2: And that's Which, true. <laughs> uh,
0: it is true. And I certainly understand why based on that description, her initial reaction is to be extremely suspicious of him.
1: Yeah. Well, he also like doesn't look Sylvester McCoy does not look like John Pertwee.
0: Um, Right.
1: So the picture on his ID badge is not the same.
0: Right. And Um, there is this whole lengthy explanation also that Zbigniew has of, well, he's the same person, but he just every now and then he looks different. And then she's like, but is his personality the same? And he's like, no, not really, but he's definitely the same person. And she's like, what? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is fair.
1: Also, the doctor like when he's digging around in his pockets for ID badges, he gives Ace uh, the other one he finds in his pocket, which is for Liz Shaw, who was one of the companions during the unit era back in the 1970 season.
0: Right, um, yeah. So yeah, she gets her, her she, so yeah, she, she has her fake ID and he has his ID. Clearly neither of these IDs like successfully depict the person yeah, that they're no. supposed to and also are like 15 years out of date. And she's just like, no, we're, we're not doing this. <laughs>
1: huh? yeah
0: yeah i really like her i i in general was like very very pleased with the uh the women characters in uh in this season oh yeah or in this uh in this serial i guess uh not an entire I haven't, I haven't seen anything else of the season
1: i haven't either actually oh okay i've seen i've seen i've seen several abs a couple serials in the previous season but not this one okay um but but Like, from what I hear, like, it's very good through this whole period. Okay.
0: But yeah, no, they, uh, yeah, they're fun. But yes, so so, uh, they are at Vortigern's Lake. They talk about the Vortigern as being just old British for High King, which I will be discussing later. (laughs) We see more of the knights wandering around and we go to a, uh, a nice little like tavern, uh, ho- a nice little tavern inn thing where the uh, the local innkeeper also actually brews his own beer, which he calls Arthur's Ale and claims is the best beer in the region. Uh, I think this is also where you meet uh, Shoyunga, who goes, yeah, order anything but the beer. So <laughs> it is apparently not the best beer in the region.
1: Yeah yeah um and uh this is where they have the inflation joke because uh sort is a glass of lemonade and and uh the guy's like that'll be five pounds, five pounds for lemonade, and the doctor's like, remember it is the future, <laughs> <laughs> which like this is the equivalent of like spending at least ten bucks on one glass of lemonade, which is yeah excessive,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Even by nineties standards,
0: oh, right? That just seem like too much for a glass of lemonade. Maybe this particular, uh, like, <laughs> tavern is uh, is kind of pleasing its guests a little
1: bit. Uh,
0: maybe, maybe it's using its Arthurian connections as an excuse to get more money out of the tourists. Ah, uh,
1: yes, Arthurian lemonade.
0: Yes, our our, our <laughs> yes, our, exactly, our classic Arthurian lemonade. We see more knights and we get our first very clear indication that in addition to these particular knights being somewhat out of place uh, temporally, that also they are uh, not quite your standard medieval knights in that they have some sort of gun-like weapons.
1: Yeah, they're like ray gun things. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Right.
0: We also learn that the knights are not, in fact, all on the same side as one another, so that they're actually uh, battling against each other. And I also like that, like, half the battle is just the knights just literally crashing into each other. So, uh, clearly they, like, did a limited amount of time on, like, choreography here.
1: Yeah. Also, uh, Brigadier Bambera is there, and she's not quite sure who she should be fighting.
0: Right, and she's, like, who, and she's just in general, like, I really enjoy her, like, No nonsense, but also like, who are you? No, no, you can't do this. Stop, Uh, stop it. At
1: at some point, like she just ducks behind the TARDIS because she's like, I don't know who to shoot at.
0: (laughs) We also see then in our tavern, this scabbard. I'm going to talk about the scabbard later, but I'm just going to say for now that this scabbard is in better shape than most things from like the 80s. (laughs) <laughs> um, would it be today <laughs> the scabbard has like a full like perfect condition like leather wrapping the scabbard looks fantastic
1: <laughs>
0: and also we have uh, so there's uh, in the tavern there is the proprietor there's also his wife elizabeth who is blind who uh mentions basically that she just gets this like strange vibe basically from the scabbard like it is waiting for something yeah I also, so the doctor is asking about the scabbard and he asked, what period is it from? And then at Wormsley, I'm like, you're an archaeologist because his response is like, does it matter? I'm like, yes, yes, it always matters. Uh, he also responds that it is from the 8th century AD, a dating choice, which I will also talk about. There, there are a lot of things that are that come up very quickly and I'm like, hmm, hmm okay. Okay. Uh, so Ace, meanwhile, is making friends with Xiao Ying, so that uh, she has her cool friend who also loves explosives, and they also definitely have a like queer relationship vibe, uh, oh, yes. or like you know queer flirting vibe at least. Certainly, I wouldn't say relationship at this point; they just very, met. very, yes. But I would be very here for that relationship. And as I discuss, they hear an explosion and see one of the knights just fly through the air and like into oh wall uh
1: well he he gets launched through the air and through the roof of the brewery right
0: yes yeah and they kind of go in to see what's happening there and it is confirmed that he is in fact a human not an android and he immediately identifies the doctor as merlin yeah which is a cool touch
1: yeah i i love this this part this 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 aspect of this serial like
2: Mm-hmm.
1: like and and he and he also like goes on to prove that he knows he knows what the doctor's deal is like it's like he's like oh yes he has, he has many names and many faces but in my reckoning he is merlin
0: mm-hmm. do, and he's do, like do, do you not ride the ship of time it's like yeah no you you got it you've got it down. you figured it out
1: does it not deceive the senses being bigger within than without <laughs>
0: Yeah, and it actually is, and I find it really interesting, because it is actually, I, like, I think it works, uh, this, and,
1: This kind yeah. of implies that a- Anselin has been in the TARDIS at some point.
0: Yes, Anselin some, is a, like, once in a future uh, companion, maybe. Yeah,
1: it's, it's in his past, but the Doctor, like, doesn't recognize him at all, which suggests it's in the Doctor's future.
0: Yes yeah which is which is really interesting and and it also does I think all of this kind of brings up the fact that yeah actually the doctor is kind of like Merlin
1: sure yeah he has he has weird knowledge of the future that no normal person could have
0: yeah Uh, yeah I'm like all right yeah no that makes sense I'm I'm fine with this connection this this works so I, I really really like this aspect Winifred uh, Commander Bambera comes uh, Brigadier Bambera comes in and attempts to arrest them as more knights arrive uh, and yeah. as we move into the.
1: Bambera next comes in the door and then uh, the knights burst in through the wall. <laughs>
0: <clears throat> yes. and as we move into the next episode, we learn that among this new troop of knights bursting on in includes Mordred yeah yeah uh Mordred who uh we will see more of this but Mordred who is just hilariously like absolute cartoon villain here
1: oh yeah he is very entertaining to watch yes it's it's pretty great
0: (laughs) yeah and he is uh very happy to see Merlin or you know Glad that he will be able to kind of bring him to his mother, who has waited twelve centuries to face it to face him, and that this time she will, uh, he will bow down before her. I also find it very funny that all of these other people around are just like, "What? Who are you? What are you talking about?" I'm like, "Do you not know like Arthurian legend and like the basics of Arthurian legend?"
1: I mean, to be fair, like you don't expect to see uh Mordred the nephew of King Arthur in a in a microbrewery in the 90s uh, no <laughs> like that's weird that's not a yes. connection you might make right away
0: but I would think that your stat- that your average British person would hear the name Mordred and be like like from Arthurian legend
1: fair fair
0: like you might think that it was like a weirdo, like cosplaying.
1: Yeah, there's actually but... uh, an interesting uh, trivia casting note. UNIT is an international organization, which mm-hmm. uh, you know we see with several of the officers. There's Zbigniew, who's Polish, and, uh, and
0: right, uh,
1: and then we later we get Flight Lieutenant Lavelle, who's French, and uh, Major Husak, who's I believe Czechoslovakian but, but Bambera was written as being from the Caribbean, but then they went and cast hmm. someone from Manchester. Um, uh-huh. that's,
0: that's
1: right. why she, that's why she keeps saying, oh, shame, because it, because like that oh, phrase so she's like trying
0: to pull that, up. That, yeah. Okay. That,
1: that phrase like would sound better in a Caribbean accent.
0: Right. Right. Okay. All right. That, that makes sense. Cause yeah, I was like, is that, is that like a, is that a thing that people say in some parts of England? All right.
1: Not really. (laughs) (laughs) Which, which makes it a little weird, but.
0: Right. Well, you know, she's, she's, uh, she's pulling it off. I think, I think she's working, Uh, but yeah, probably something to have been said for a vacuum. I'm glad that at least they didn't like make her do a Caribbean accent.
1: Yeah, that's true
0: because I can definitely think of things like, like, uh, Buffy, the vampire slayer, where we have like who, yeah. And like that, like accent that she's putting on. And I'm like, she could just, because I think the actress is like, is like, I don't know. She like, whatever her accent is, that is not like her accent. And she is like American (laughs) or something. And I'm like, you know, there are like, there are Brown people in America. She could just like be American. Mm -hmm. She's she's not to talk like that in that like weird foreign accent that she is not yeah. being totally successful at.
2: Yeah.
0: Anyway, so we uh, learned that, you know, Anselin is our commander uh, and Mordred then, meanwhile, is connecting dimensions. He's got some glowing swords and some other glowing objects. He is doing some summoning and some evil laughing.
1: Mordred has the most amazing evil laugh
0: he does and there's one that i think he actually is laughing consistently without taking a breath for like a full minute and it's amazing yeah (laughs) (laughs) meanwhile the summoning is having some real some effects in other places in that the scabbard seems to be attempting to move, which is probably not a great sign. And it, in fact, then flies off the wall through the, through the air and buries itself in the opposite wall, uh, presumably kind of trying to get back to yeah. one of these glowing swords. There's all sorts Nar- of glowing swords.
1: Yeah, narrowly missing uh, poor Peter Wormsley's head.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> The doctor realizes that there is a kind of rip that is being created in the fabric of time and space, uh, which he explains his awareness of that as just saying that he is uniquely sensitive and Morgaine materializes uh, before Mordred and she's got like a real interesting like hat crown situation. It's like very elaborate. There's a lot of spikes. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: She's,
0: she's got a good look.
1: That's a fun costume
0: choice yeah just all around yeah
1: lots of lots of lots of sort of tarnished gold-ish gold doesn't mm-hmm. tarnish but like that's
0: brass kind of like yeah that kind of brass, like burnished that's... brass look yeah. yeah
1: very spiky so you know she's evil Uh huh. <laughs> yeah
0: the spikes are how you know that she's evil of course actually
1: uh earlier with the other knights like the evil knights tend to have spikier armor than uh our good guy knight anselin
0: right oh okay yeah that uh so yes yeah, so we're going with the spike theme as uh as the way to yeah. find the people who are evil
1: like anselin's um, helmet is like very just like rounded mm-hmm. like it's so like
0: yeah so yeah. it's
1: weird when he's the only knight on screen but then like you mm-hmm. you Get a bit of a vibe of who you're supposed to be vi- yeah. fighting, rooting for when they're fighting each other in the right. start there.
0: And Morgan and the Doctor have a little bit of a virtual chat, and I do like that. Even though the Doctor's like, "No, I have no memory of this, but I'm just going to like be on board with the fact that everybody seems to think I'm Merlin." Like, that's probably right. I'm probably going to do that soon.
1: Yeah, like that. That it, he's like, "That's that's the sort of thing I do. I'll roll with it."
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. I assume we never get that episode
1: uh no not really actually I think there's a there's like a prose short story that shows the eighth doctor doing the first half of this story uh okay (laughs) like like one of my favorite things about this serial is it does is it it does something with time travel that that they almost never do with Doctor Who which is surprising given that it's that it's uh that it's a good plot device but the uh Mm -hmm. the whole matter of the doctor like uh using future knowledge to to send notes back to his past self of Mm -hmm. what to do like
0: yeah and it's it does make sense that that would be something that he would do frequently
1: yeah but but he doesn't like this is this is one of the few times but it's a vibe it's 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 a plot device I enjoy yeah no I think it definitely works it's like oh this is a sign and we know we can trust it because it's in my handwriting
0: (laughs) right and also okay so does his handwriting stay the same I believe
1: so enough that enough that he can recognize it from incarnation to incarnation so
0: because I wouldn't think that it would I mean I could, I could see him recognizing it as it being something that he wrote, but it doesn't make sense to me that the handwriting would be the same per se.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't know. Just like trying to think about what makes, what makes sense in my head about the like whole like mythology of this whole thing that like, especially just because they had this whole conversation where they're like, does his personality see, see? And he's like, no, no. Like he's yeah. like, looks and acts completely differently, but he is definitely the same person. So <laughs> like, yeah. what? what
1: maybe maybe it's like maybe he wrote it in Gallifrey that because like at that point who else could it be
0: right or it just makes sense to me that there would be some like indefinable and unrecognizable quality about it that would like lead him to be like yes clearly I wrote this
1: yeah he's usually able to recognize himself when he runs into himself even if it's a future self
0: oh Um, wait. how often does that happen um
1: Usually they only busted out for uh, major anniversary specials. So like, uh, okay, the tenth, the the tenth anniversary special was called the Three Doctors, and it had mm-hmm. you know mostly the second and third Doctor running around while the first Doctor like gave them advice over telescreen because William Hartnell was already very old and sick by that point. Yeah, and then the twentieth uh, was uh, the Five Doctors, which had the fifth second third and a recast first doctor running around they they only used stock footage to get the fourth doctor in there because tom baker didn't want to come back um he felt it he felt it had been too soon okay he left the role but okay then in the 30th eh, they technically did something for the 30th but it's not canon and also not good the 40th they did a big very confusing uh audio drama and then the 50th they finally were on television again and so they had an episode called the day of the doctor where it's uh mm-hmm. matt smith's david Tennant's, and john Hurt's incarnations which Ooh. john hurt actually uh plays an incarnation of the doctor between the eighth and ninth uh-huh uh, who like Really, only appears for that anniversary special. It's like this is okay. a, this is an incarnation that happened during that big,
0: yeah, gap
1: in the sh- in the show.
0: Okay, because that okay that actually makes me feel better because I was like, why didn't I know that John Hurt had done this? So the fact that he didn't have like a lengthy arc as Doctor uh, makes yeah, me feel no, better about was, why I didn't know that.
1: He was never the quote unquote current Doctor because like mm-hmm. all of his episodes happened like near the end of Matt Smith's time, but he's technically and also he doesn't really have a number because like you know right because the the ninth doctor like was the ninth doctor eight years before we had a doctor between him and eight Um,
0: right yeah he's like the eight and the eighth and a half doctor uh, yeah
1: it makes it makes the numbering complicated but this this is a show that gets complicated sometimes
0: yeah yeah
1: time stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Alistair uh, has finished up his paperwork to, I guess, leave retirement and is en route to Carberry in a helicopter.
1: We, we also get introduced to uh, Flight Lieutenant Lavelle, who is French and she's a, she's a helicopter pilot. And
0: yes. That's... I also love that he asks her, uh, can you speak Czechoslovakian, which is also like not a language. Uh, to which she responds, only when I am drunk, sir.
1: Yeah, it's a good bit.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Yes, and I I was definitely also trying to be like, is part of the bit that Czechoslovak that they know the Czechoslovakian is not a language, or do they not know the Czechoslovakian is not actually a language? Um, you know,
1: I think Lavelle might know, but I don't think the Brigadier does.
0: Right. Yeah, that, Uh, that seems right.
1: Yeah. I mean, the brigadier has been running the England op- uh, office of this operation for yeah solid few decades. Like, mm-hmm. he's never had reason to go to Czechoslovakia.
0: Right, right. Or meet a person from there. You might tell him that, like, actually, like, Czech and Slovak are two different languages. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. Mordred and Morgaine are also fascinated by the helicopter and she says that you know let's let's teach them the limitations of their technologies and attacks it which uh seems to be pretty successful it starts going down
1: yeah she she Uh, shoots it down with magic
0: yes meanwhile uh Ace has also done some blowing things up with explosives and this has now created a uh, a or uncovered a tunnel in the archaeological site.
1: Yeah, the doctor. Uh, well, they they find this they find this inscription and and Wormsley's like we haven't translated what it says yet. And and the doctor's like, oh, it says dig here. And and Wormsley's like, well, how do you know that? Well, it's in my handwriting. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right yeah I do I do like yeah that there is a lot there is a lot of the doctor like leaving comments for himself uh, uh over the course of this episode
1: he has ace like set the fuse for 60 seconds uh and it goes off before 60 seconds and like throws them into the next ditch and uh, mm-hmm. and the doctor says you and I need to have a long talk about acceptable <laughs> safety standards yes
0: <laughs> But, you know, she it got the job done. So, it did get yeah, the so.
1: job done.
0: Uh-huh. So, yeah, now they've got this uh, tunnel that they can go and check out. Meanwhile, the helicopter has crash-landed, and then Morgane and Mordred, having done this, uh, are now kind of wandering around, and Morgaine finds, like, a World War II memorial, I guess?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's a... <laughs> both world wars memorial yeah yeah because britain had a far greater involvement in the first one than we did
0: right yes Uh, and far longer involvement certainly in the second as well uh since we took a while to bother showing up to that one
2: um
0: they they find this memorial and uh, and Morgaine is actually very annoyed at Mordred because the fact that they have a shrine to those fallen in battle it proves that they are not mere savages and that therefore he has dishonored them by encouraging them to think that they could I guess kind of kill people with impunity and not treat them with some amount of honor while also killing them.
1: Yeah, something like that. More, morgane and her people have like kind of a weird notion of honor but yeah it's it's alien that's what it is
0: oh right yeah exactly yeah. like it's not like i wouldn't say it actually kind of functions quite as medieval but that's fine because they're not real medieval people they're aliens
1: I, it could also be interpreted as like a fey
0: interpretation of honor yeah yeah that could work yeah yeah so they then run into Alistair. Uh, I like that Morgane yeah. introduces herself as I'm Morgane, the sun killer. And I'm like, you know, I don't know what that means, but I'm so here for it. Good job.
1: Yeah, and and he and he responds with something like, uh, I'm Brigadier Alistair Lethbridge Stewart. Surrender now and uh, and we may be able to end this peacefully, which which Morgaine thinks is like I'll I I am far more powerful than you, but I respect your spunk, old man. (laughs)
0: Uh Uh-huh, yeah. And they basically come to an agreement that essentially, so he's like, so you're gonna hold a memorial service for the dead of our world wars? And she's like, yes. And then they're like, okay, so I'm just going to go. And she's like, yeah, you can go, but I'll kill you when I see you again. Actually,
1: he he offers to help them with their ceremony. Right, yes. And And then they peacefully go their separate ways. But she's like, next time I see you, I will kill you.
0: Yes. Meanwhile, uh, down in the tunnel, they kind of come across an area where uh, it is actually able, they were actually able to enter because it is keyed to the doctor's voice, I believe.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Like they're trying to find like, you know, what, like the open switch and then the doctor's like, open up, it's me. And the the door opens up and and the doctor's like, keyed to my voice. Sounds like something I would do.
0: Right. And she's like, are you Merlin? And he's like, No, but I could be in the future, my personal future, which could be the past. It's like, all right.
1: Yeah. And Ace is like, I think I follow that.
0: (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Finally, as they are going through this tunnel, they find the, I don't know, it's sort of like core, I don't know, the like corpse slash like napping form, whatever it's supposed to be at the moment. We'll, we'll get to more about that of Arthur ace pulls Excalibur out of the stone
1: yeah because she's like well well she's like there's no way I can pull this I've I know the legends but like this is not right. this is not that
0: <laughs> yes yeah, so just sort of like pulls it as a joke and then it works because it is apparently does not precisely mapping onto legend or it is an ace should be running things which I'm also fine with <laughs>
1: uh, and uh and that sets off like an intruder alarm
0: Yes, which includes basically a a green magic snake which chases them around.
1: Yeah, yeah. In terms of in terms of uh, special effects, this is one of the more questionable ones.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's basically just like a green light that is vaguely snake shaped that is following them around. Ace runs into this kind of doorway, which then sort of locks her in and also starts drowning her.
1: Yeah. So, so a trivia fact about this scene, that sort of whole water cabinet thing almost, well, the glass actually cracked on that set and, and the mm. water started leaking out and towards some electrical cables and it could have electrocuted and killed Sophie Aldred if Sylvester McCoy had not seen it and oh, alerted, wow. and alerted people to get her out.
0: Oh, wow. So yeah, yeah so, uh, uh, good she didn't die.
1: Yeah, no kidding.
0: <laughs> also good that she uh, doesn't die in the uh, in the show as well as in real life. But we do not uh, know that she doesn't die until the beginning of the next episode. I mean, you, know, you can probably assume that she's not going to die, but you don't know for sure until the yeah. beginning of the next episode where she uh, basically then arises from there into the lake holding Excalibur aloft yeah
1: right and this is this is right as uh as wormsley is recounting to Anselin like the story of the lady of the lake giving it like rising from the lake to give arthur excalibur and then like bambera like who's like walking along the shoreline spots like ace kind of just come shooting out of the lake with excalibur in hand Mm. and 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 i don't remember exactly who is like It's like, what were you doing down there? And Ace says, drowning.
0: (laughs) I also like that as Wormsley sees her, he goes, it's that wretched girl. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Meanwhile, Mordred and Morgaine are back up to their tricks. Mordred goes to the inn, he, uh, cap- he briefly captures Elizabeth as a way to kind of make it, make sure that people uh, will do what he wants. He actually does try the beer and seems to like it just fine, but I don't know, maybe that says something about either extra-dimensional <laughs> or pre-modern uh, beer, but- Possibly. Yeah. He also, as he sees the, uh, the tavern owner, whose name I have completely forgotten.
1: Uh, Patrick
0: patrick yes as he sees patrick he immediately goes with your aspect it's well that she's blind it's like dude come on
1: yeah no mordred is not a great guy
0: (laughs) he is not no morgaine sends her people to uh go after those who hold excalibur first she lieutenant
1: Lavelle comes in uh looking for safety like And Mordred starts hitting on her really creepy-like. yeah. Um, Morgaine comes in and like, I guess like psychically extracts like all the information about the unit troop in the area that like, and apparently like this burns out her brain and kills her.
0: Yeah, I know. It's so awful. Also like she, first she actually does, I will say just, you know, that she does try to shoot Morgaine, but Morgaine can just like grab bullets and be fine.
1: Yeah, that's a thing.
0: Uh, Yeah, in addition to, yeah, extracting her brain and uh, then, like, zapping her corpse out of existence.
1: Yeah, but then she turns around and pays for Mordred's bar tab by restoring Elizabeth's sight, which is like... Oh, yeah! Yeah, Morgaine has got a really weird sense of morality there.
0: Yeah, yeah, she's got an odd sense of fairness. So yeah, definitely just like murdering this person. I mean, I wonder if it is because that person is a combatant. Possibly. That that's totally fine, but that these other people are not combatants, and so you shouldn't kill them. And also that you should pay you should pay for the drink tab. And I guess uh restoring somebody's sight is a perfectly good way of doing that. I
1: mean, it's probably uh what medical bills are like i mean even in england they're better than here but even so
0: yeah i mean you know like she she should have asked first perhaps uh, before making a major change to this person's body but
1: probably but i think i think that specific choice worked out in the end Yeah,
0: she seems happy about it yeah The doctor is basically complaining that something is wrong and that they haven't been attacked yet, Uh, at which point they are, however, promptly attacked. Uh, Some of the knights throw a grenade, which very narrowly misses them.
1: And the brigadier's like, okay, now we've been attacked. Are you happy? And the doctor's like, yes. As long (laughs) as they're attacking us, they're not doing something more worrying.
0: Which I'm like, why not both, though? Because I'm pretty sure it's
1: both. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's both. (laughs)
0: They rendezvous at the hotel. I like actually that they're kind of, at some point they're kind of leading Elizabeth out and they try to like take her hand. She's like, I can walk, uh, which I which I do really like that she's like, I don't need a help. And uh, Patrick's yeah. like, yeah, sorry. she She was blind until like an hour ago, so.
1: Yeah warmsley and and patrick like don't want to be evacuated because you know this is their home they don't want to leave Mm -hmm. and the and the doctor just kind of hypnotizes them into like wanting to leave he he does the kind of like uh sort of reverse psychology it's like he's like i understand that you're very angry and you do want to leave and and you won't and you won't take any other answer otherwise and and he like looks deeply into their eyes and they're like, we're very angry and we want to leave and we won't hear another word otherwise.
0: <laughs> so he manages to get them out uh, with the exception of Shoying, who it does end up uh, sticking sticking around, which is good because I want to see more of her because she's very cool. Mm-hmm. They're you know, figuring out what to do now. The doctor asks if they have a helicopter so that they can get to where the action is. Alistair tells him that they can do better I assume this is a reference to something we have seen previously because Uh, I would not assume that this odd yellow car is better than a helicopter.
1: So Bessie, uh, which is what the car is named, back when the the doctor was exiled to earth, he couldn't fly the TARDIS, so he got a car. And this Mm -hmm. this is his car. Like the brigadier kept his car for him. And like the doctor is very happy to see his car again.
0: Oh, I also love that the license plate on the car is who seven?
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, uh, they they have a scene with, it was a tradition back in the old unit days with with the third doctor that like unit would confront the monster and try to shoot it with guns and stuff. And that always would never work. And so uh, the brigadier is shown is showing off that uh they have learned from the past and have specialized ammunition for dealing with these things now like they've got armor piercing rounds for daleks and they've got gold bullets for cybermen and etc and and the doctor's like you got any silver bullets and and the brigadier's like silver bullets i don't know do we have Husak? do we have any silver bullets and it turns out that they do have silver bullets, and this ends up becoming a significant plot point.
0: Yes, this is this absolutely is just like Chekhov's silver bullet uh, uh-huh. at this point.
1: <laughs> yeah and and I think this was on the doctor's mind because uh, a couple serials previously he and Ace had to fight an actual werewolf.
0: Mm. Okay. So, so yeah, that's... so makes makes sense that they are concerned about uh, having silver bullets if uh, that's if that's a challenge that they're.
1: It's a good thing to have on hand if that's a thing that you might run into.
0: Yep, and also I guess if you are uh, dealing with other individuals that follow some like Fay laws, as uh, we will as we will see. So Anselin and Bambera have been hanging out and uh, <laughs> they seem and to be developing their own relationship which is very charming
1: Anselin and Bambera are like we we have we have done them a disservice by not talking enough about them to I know point. um yeah they have they a really have just, fun dynamic yeah they were they were in the car in a car following the doctor and the brigadier and Ace and Shu young and all but they got separated, and uh, now they are just like on foot fighting their way through nights to get back to the wake.
0: (laughs) Right. They have gone from having a somewhat adversarial uh, relationship initially to uh, developing more of a connection, even while still occasionally uh, having a bit of sparring, uh, you know, verbal sparring. Yeah. and uh it's while they're in this car and they're like about to go into a battle and Anselin is like Winifred art thou betrothed I'm just like not now Anselin
1: yeah and then like a little bit later like after they've taken out that threat and they they don't see the one that's directly ahead of them yet Winifred then turns to Anselin and says so Anselin are you married
0: <laughs> right yeah
1: one thing I will note about their names so you know how in in different languages like there will be there will be names that are like, are this language variants of the same name, like Mm -hmm. how Ivan is Russian for John. Yeah. Winifred is a German, basically equivalent of Guinevere. Oh. And Anselin. that's so
0: interesting.
1: Anselin, as near as I can tell, is uh, supposed to be a Welshification of Lancelot, which isn't a real name to begin with.
0: No. Oh, that's so, awesome!
1: I'm pretty oh, sure that's that. w- I'm pretty sure that's what's going on there.
0: Oh, that's so cute. They're very cute. Yeah. Oh. So the doctor then, as he goes to, uh, I guess, basically make sure that they don't have like a pitched battle on top of a nuclear warhead, uh, essentially.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, like Anselin and-, and Mordred are about to charge at each other, and the doctor like runs in between in them and yells stop, stop
0: there it. will be no
1: battle here it's i like command very, very you
0: stop
1: like it's very merlin he stops a whole battle just by yelling at the top of his voice i and know it's amazing
0: yes Uh, Meanwhile, before he goes off, he uh, gives Ace a piece of chalk and uh, essentially leaves her and Shoying with Excalibur and says they should use this chalk circle to protect themselves from Morgane, which they end up doing. They are like sitting in the circle holding hands and I am very here for it. However, Morgaine uh, both summons a demon and also uses magic to make them be mean to each other. And they almost actually, like Ace almost falls out of the chalk circle, but then they realize what's going on and they hug and it's okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very, it's a very like sweet moment and very gay. Yeah. Um.
0: Yes. Yeah. It's like, all right, this is like, this is like a very queer scene. Like they're not ex- very, they're not exactly explicitly stating it, but that's obviously the vibe. Oh Yeah. Yeah. Back at the battle, Morgre tells him that in fact this was just a diversion. While Morgaine summons this weird demon, and she then shows up with the demon, or uh, shows up with the demon who is called the Destroyer, tells Asincho to deliver the sword. And when they say no, then she says that they will be delivered to the Destroyer to become his handmaidens in hell and we've got some more uh, some more evil laughter uh now from from our demon i think
1: yeah the destroyer i i will note like doctor who has this like classic doctor who has this reputation for very low budget special effects the destroyer looks good
0: he like, does yeah the destroyer like, is like, solid that
1: is, a, that is an that is a very good demon look
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, they, they did a good job on the demon who, as uh, we move into our final episode, the doctor, you know, tells them to call up the destroyer, surrender and uh so basically they're they're kind of doing this like mind conversation again he is threatening mordred with a sword then she calls his bluff and she's like you don't kill people you're not gonna do this and he's like oh damn it and then does not kill him which i'm like dude just kill him
1: actually so there's one or two serials previous they're like the like so mordred says the line do it then look into my eyes and end my life, which is something that the doctor himself said like two serials previous previously to somebody,
2: mm.
1: like just calling their bluff. And the doctor cannot bring himself to do it, but then, but uh, the brigadier has no such compunctions and he has a yes. gun. <laughs> yep.
0: But it turns out that uh, Morgane also doesn't have a ton of, uh, Moral compunctions about being effectively responsible for her son dying if she gets other things that she wants. So her response is, Die well, my son.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Which Mordred understandably is like, What the fuck,
0: mom? <laughs> yep i yeah i don't blame him for that reaction So important ditches that whole situation and goes back to what else she's doing which is using the destroyer to try and get excalibur so it turns yeah. out indeed that she cannot cross the circle but that she would be able to if she freed the demon
1: to well i think i think devour can- the world she can't cross it but he could but he's, but if he's like, I, he, yeah, he's like, I'm not going to move until you free me.
0: <laughs> yeah. I wasn't sure if it was that he wasn't going to, or that he actually couldn't or, or what the situation was. Yeah.
1: I'm not yeah. sure either, but, but like he does several things that are kind of like, that are kind of like specifically intended to force her to free him.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Like, sort of subtly undermining her in in such a way that, like, she has to take that option.
0: Right. Yeah. She basically starts to remove his chains, but uh, as it turns out, uh, with this threat of uh, the Destroyer being released to devour the world, Ace and Cho do give her Excalibur, And I think it is very sweet when she is apologizing to the doctor for having done this, so that he says good exotic alien swords are easy to come by, aces are rare.
2: Yeah.
0: I thought that was very sweet. Morgaine does have Excalibur. She uh, no longer seems to have much of an army. They seem to have uh, taken them out, uh, although Mordred is still uh, wandering around somewhere. At this point, there is this kind of interstitial vortex that is created. The Doctor follows uh, uh, Morgaine and the Destroyer into it. And Ace then realizes that we have these silver bullets and that this is going to be helpful because it is silver, which which is what has been able to actually kind of chain the Destroyer. So she jumps and follows on through with the silver bullets.
1: Yeah, the Brigadier went through too. Uh, Yes. Yeah.
0: So the three of them are through, and meanwhile, uh, Morgane and the Destroyer are having a whole conversation about what she should do and whether she should let him devour the world. And apparently he actually is, uh, he actually let the Doctor come through the vortex, basically, because he's like, yeah, maybe if I do that, I'll be able to convince you to let me free, and then I can do whatever the fuck I want.
1: Yep. All right. (laughs) Sure. Uh Uh-huh.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, he he does come through their fighting. And uh, I like this line because this is very much connected to what you said before about him uh, not telling Ace these things, but absolutely having these kind of plans in place that involve her. That uh, she says I could always defeat you at chess, Merlin. And he says, "Who said anything about chess? I'm playing poker, and I have an ace up my sleeve." Which clearly he is referring to Ace and her silver bullets. Yeah, she she does end up letting the destroyer loose from his chains. He kind of like starts tearing at his silver armor as well. And I love that they that they just like really kind of have this shot that weirdly like lingers on his like blue pecs.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that that turns out to be foreshadowing too.
0: Right, they are essentially trying to figure out what to do at this point. Alistair actually knocks out the Doctor so that he can shoot the destroyer himself with the silver bullets.
1: Yeah, he's he's like, I am I am more expendable than you, Doctor. Um, yeah, like he says that word for word for word. Um, mm-hmm. And they there's there's a great. One of my favorite lines in the whole episode. The Destroyer's like, pitiful. Can this world do better? no better than you as the champion? And the brigadier says, probably. I just do the best I can. And he shoots him with the silver bullets and <laughs> yeah. kills him.
0: Yeah. He dramatically explodes at dying. Yeah. Bye, Destroyer. But Mordred is still there to be a dick. Boo. Yeah. Uh, and so he's attacking Bambera. Meanwhile, uh, basically Morgan is trying to set off the nuclear missile. And I do like that she, uh, she asks in terms of the failsafe code, she goes, what is the secret incantation?
1: The spell, the failsafe code.
0: <laughs> yes. Bambera does not know it or claims that she does not know it. But uh, he, she, I guess, like extracts it from her brain because that's a thing yeah. that she can do.
1: She must not have gone as invasive as she did with Lavelle because she only needed the one thing.
0: Right, yes. Uh, But at the time, there is definitely a moment where you uh, think that she is possibly dead. So the doctor comes in and they begin to essentially, oh, oh, sorry, then before that. So basically the doctor has gone down to figure out what's going on with Arthur and removes his helmet and just like a bunch of dust falls out. And it turns out that yeah no Arthur is you know screw this once in future king stuff Arthur, Arthur is legit dead.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's the the, uh, the doctor pulls a note out of the helmet and he reads Arthur died in the final battle. Everything else propaganda.
0: <laughs> right, and it's the doctor's letter to himself. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yep.
1: No, well, no Ace reads it and and uh, and and the doctor's like, "Well, who who wrote that and and she's like you did and he's like oh well that's all right then uh-huh. <laughs> p.s uh morgane is about to set off and nu- set off the nuke and the doctor's like oh well i could have told myself that sooner
0: right <laughs> So he then goes to stop her. Uh, He basically manages to convince her with one second left on the clock. uh, Very, very kind of standard, you know, nuclear bomb sort of thing, right? That it takes until Mm -hmm. there's one second left on the clock. Manages to convince her to stop it on the grounds that there is no, that there is like no honor in this. And she also demands that she be allowed to then face Arthur in single combat and what he and when he manages to then convince her that arthur is really dead she's actually quite sad about it yeah it's interesting yeah.
1: you can tell that Morgan and arthur have history which like
0: mm-hmm.
1: obviously they do but like
0: right and it's it's interesting because I'm, I'm going to be talking more about morgane and the way in which this is potentially kind of drawing on like different aspects of uh things that show up in both medieval yes. Arthurian legend and also uh 80s Arthurian legend <laughs> yes uh, he has managed to uh de- to basically kind of stave off this nuclear warfare <laughs> meanwhile Anselin is fighting Mordred and says that I do not fear death because you have slain my beloved and there is no life without her
1: Mordred is like about like he's he like what yeah. he like is about to like do the downward swing with his uh with his sword to finish off insulin and but like as he's at the top of his like preparation swing yeah with the, w- where the sword is behind his head the doctor comes up behind him and uh hooks his wrist with with his umbrella and like twists yes. his arm and t- so that he drops the sword
0: uh-huh it's great
1: and then he and then he says great, to, and then he says to bambera it's like arrest mordred and while you're at it lock up his mother <laughs>
0: <laughs> right <laughs> They win. Everybody's very happy. And they, I guess, all go to hang out at, Brig- at Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart's house.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The the girls, so Doris, Ace, Young, and Bambera, like, go off for a night on the town and leave and leave the boys, Alistair and Anselin and the Doctor, to, uh, you know, look after the house. And you can tell that, like, as an as an old, like domestic English husband,
0: uh, he's not used the, to doing that. Uh,
1: the brigadier is uh, like Doris is like, oh, and I'm sure you'll have a have a wonderful meal wh- whipped up for us when we get home. And the, the Brigadier is like, ah. Uh.
0: I mean, I actually love the dynamic even more because he's like, but will you be home for supper? And she's like, oh, that's right. You should whip up something delicious for my supper, <laughs> and yeah. then we just drive
1: off. Yep. <laughs> like good and, for you. And she also asked him to mow the lawn, which, uh, which, which he then turns to Anselin and says, are you any good with
0: a lawnmower? <laughs> yes. And, and meanwhile, the-, the doctor just goes, oh, I'll, I'll cook supper. So I guess the <laughs> yeah. doctor is the only one of these men who can cook, which yeah. kind of tracks.
1: Yeah. They establish in a, in a later serial that like, since Anselin is now basically stuck on this world, like he gets a steady job as the brigadier's gardener. <laughs>
0: yeah and I'm like all right good 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 for for you you." yeah Yeah. and that's you know a good a good job for you to hold while your partner is off doing uh her other things as brigadier because she presumably still is uh maintaining her career yeah you know he he
1: acclimates to 1990s earth remarkably well
0: (laughs) oh yeah he's he's very chill so and you know if he can if he can use a lawnmower honestly like good for him I don't know what the fuck to do with a lawnmower me neither (laughs) <laughs> so yeah good good job uh and this is actually a very a very charming ending for everybody involved which probably means that in the next serial something awful is about to happen
1: oh yeah ace goes through a lot of trauma in the next one um oh yeah it's sort of the doctor's incredibly roundabout way of giving her morally questionable therapy
0: <laughs> okay
1: yeah like she's she's got unresolved issues from her childhood, and so like it's all okay. very it's all very confusing. But
0: okay, fair enough. But yeah, we we do at this point, at least in uh, in the serial, have a uh, this kind of very like charming, almost like a movie style ending uh, for for everybody. So that's nice. Yeah, there are a. Variety of developments uh in this, which vary in their connection to historical realities, which we can get into in some more detail in the Vera at Falso section. Yes. So this is an Arthurian story, and it makes some weird choices in that particular sense, Mm -hmm. I would say. I like the idea that Anselin is this kind of Welshification of Lancelot that uh clears up some of my vague confusion of who the fuck is Anselin and why do they make the like main character this like not this like invented figure named Anselin?
1: Yeah, I think they were trying to be like not too on the nose and also kind of defrenchify this inherently French character. Um
0: right, yeah yeah and kind of go with uh go with more of the uh the the welsh vibe for him
1: yeah. and lancelot's not a real name anyway so oh
0: no so uh, yeah so i'm fine with like losing lancelot in favor of uh of something else i was just like spending a lot of time watching this being like ah, oh, yes famed arthurian hero anselin <laughs> is our like main character on like the good side here
1: yeah well it 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 clicks when you realize that Winifred and they do make they do make a pretty big deal about the name like when they hear mm -hmm. the name Winifred like like that's when they start talking about the meaning of names and stuff Mm. Uh,
0: oh interesting and so so, like
1: when you realize that Winifred is Guinevere like Mm -hmm. Anselin is Lancelot makes sense
0: yeah yeah no definitely interesting yeah, so, okay, so that that I'm going to say I'm here for. One thing that I tend to find strange in a number of Arthurian adaptations is that they make a wide range of bizarre choices about dates that they connect Arthuriana to. Yes. And I will say, because Arthur is of, like, questionable historical reality anyway... In most Arthurian, like if it's something that is just an Arthurian adaptation, I'm very flexible in terms of like, I think it is a valid choice to have something that is essentially kind of set in a sort of 6th century context, which is when we like, yeah, well, like if it's 6th century context, which is when we might actually place a historical Arthur if there were one or somebody like him. And I also think it is a valid choice to just place him in a kind of vague 12th to 15th century setting. On the grounds that that is when Arthurian legends were kind of popularized and also and like created in a lot of ways in yeah. terms of what we think of as the Arthur narrative today.
1: Yeah, but the the timeline confusion goes back to the original legends. So,
0: right, but yes, but then it like it drives me nuts when they're like the eighth century, and I'm like, no, no, stop it.
1: Nothing, nothing about nothing, nothing is eighth century. What do you?
0: Nothing is the eighth century. No. No. And then it's also, okay. And then it's also that, then if you're going to say the 8th century, then even though, okay, I know they're aliens and they have guns and that's fine. That part doesn't bother me. But if you're going to claim that there is some connection to the 8th century, I kind of want other things to convincingly look like they are from the 8th century. And this, by the way, is beyond Mm -hmm. the fact that like the 8th century is like a weird choice for Arthuriana. Yeah. But it's a very, like,
1: I've yet to see a version of the Arthur story with the Vikings.
0: Yeah, no. It Well, actually, uh, I have a version with the Vikings, but that is a complaint that I have about that version. And I've forgotten what it's called. Cursed, the uh, the kind of Nimue-based story on Netflix. That was a TV show that uh, went one season and does not seem to have been renewed, sadly. But I think it is based on a graphic novel also. Uh,
1: But that has a kind
0: of... It's I have critiques of it, but it is fun. (laughs) But it has this kind of, like, weird, like, it sort of is, like, putting, uh, like, it it just, like, makes weird choices. And, like, it, like, weirdly bothers me that, like, like, all of a sudden just, like, the Vikings are there. And then also they're, like, talking about Charlemagne. And I'm like, no, stop it. Stop (laughs) it.
1: Uh, You can't do this. No, no. The records of the 8th century are actually too good for a, quote, unquote, historical Arthur.
0: I mean, that's not what the uh, crazy person who came up with the conspiracy theory that the eighth century didn't exist would say. Or no, I guess he thinks the ninth century didn't exist. Uh, no, no. I can't. Uh, yeah, it's the it's it's a guy who thinks that like Charlemagne didn't exist and that they like cut out two hundred years of history to make it the year one thousand. Uh, it is a conspiracy theory that among like five million other problems aggressively ignores the fact that, like, there are parts of the world that are in Europe.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, mm, I mean, speaking as someone whose particular area is 9th, 10th, 11th century Normandy. uh,
0: (laughs) Never happened. I have issues
1: with this.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I've, uh, I've discovered a lot of medieval conspiracy theories recently. There's also one which uh, will, I'm not sure if it's going to be it's going to be an episode I'm not sure if it will precede or uh or post this one but uh in terms of figuring out my scheduling but there will mm-hmm. be a podcast episode talking about a weird TikTok which is uh promoting the theory that the Roman Empire isn't real and that it is uh-huh. all like a, like invented by the Spanish Inquisition what <laughs> I know right it's hilarious Uh, and also insane uh, it is truly one of the weirdest things
1: i i my brain has broken
0: yeah yeah that was pretty much my attitude when i first heard about it uh is what no (laughs) why stop (laughs) Uh, but yeah so so but if you're gonna say the 8th century which is a bizarre date for arthuriana anyway but okay, you know, we'll just, we'll take the 8th century, we'll go from there. If you're going to say the 8th century, don't have armor that's from the 14th century. Don't. Don't.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> don't like,
1: do it. It is, like, I would I would excuse the armor if they hadn't set a specific date because of the uh, inherent timeline confusion of, of the Arthur mythos anyway.
0: Yes, exactly. Because, like, that in... or,
1: original art depicts the contemporary armor of the day,
0: exactly yeah so I tend to be I tend to be fine with that in Arthurian adaptations that don't like have a date so yeah yeah that I tend to be fine with essentially just like making it kind of vaguely sort of 12th to 15th century right and putting at the kind of heart uh, height of Arthurian enthusiasm in late medieval Europe like I think that is a valid choice but yeah, but if you say eighth century, just you have to keep it eighth century, like you. Mm,
2: mm-hmm.
0: mm. So that annoys me. And the other thing that really annoys me is this scabbard, which, as I said, <laughs> is like covered in leather in what a hundred percent perfect condition. And I'm like, no, no, this thing was not buried in the ground for twelve hundred years. Absolutely not.
1: Absolutely yeah.
0: not. No, stop it. Stop it. Bad.
1: The one thing I will say is that Excalibur's scabbard is supposed to be magic. Maybe, is that anything? I don't think that's don't part think, of the magic.
0: I don't think that's part of the magic. And also that I would want them to talk about that, right? I, I would have been down yeah. with the choice if they'd actually like talked about the fact that it was in weirdly good condition. Yeah. They talk about other things that are weird about the scabbard and it like flies through the air. like So I would be fine if they actually did say,
1: well, they do. They do. Almost, they they do almost explicitly say that the scabbard is magic because, like, it, at 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 one point, it's like hot to the touch, and then like a, a moment later, it's cold to the touch, and at one point, it flies through the air on its own accord.
0: Yeah, but, so it's definitely so like, magic. It's magic. But I want them. But I want them to acknowledge that part of the magic is that yeah. it is in inexplicably good condition. I just, I just want them to say that. It would make me feel better personally.
1: Yeah. Also, those. <laughs> those holes that warmsley has been digging are not deep enough to, to have reached eighth century levels.
0: Yeah, that too. Like the archeological dig, I have not been involved personally in an archeological dig. So, you know, this is mostly things that I know somewhat secondhand, certainly, but the archeological dig looks wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah. It does that like, it just does not look like they've done enough work as you said right it doesn't look like they've done enough work to be actually uncovering 8th century artifacts also as charming as Ace and her explosives are I like absolutely had a goddamn heart attack at her setting (laughs) off a like moderately at best controlled explosive in an archaeological dig
1: yeah and it was an emergency but
0: I get that it was an emergency but
1: yeah no I, I yeah
0: i mean i i appreciate that at least the site overseer was unhappy with that choice. Uh-huh. that that's accurate his his displeasure with this situation at least yeah so that's something but yeah i uh, was a little bit like oh no don't don't do that you can't do that
2: mm-hmm. you can't do that <laughs>
0: The final thing that I'm going to mention before getting into some other details in the uh, in the Historia at Veritas is that I want to chat about Lake Vortigern. Lake Vortigern is not a real place, sadly. There is no Lake Vortigern. Mm-mm. I am sorry to say. It is, however, named after a real person. There is a fifth century warlord who is mentioned in a number of texts. So for the first time There is, so he's mentioned by name for the first time, probably in Bede's Ecclesiastical History of the English People. There's an earlier account that essentially describes what seems to be the same figure, and that Bede clearly basically just like paraphrases this account. So in that earlier account is Gildas's De Excidio et Conquestu Britanniae, so on the uh, destruction and conquest of uh, Britons. Essentially, there are a couple of manuscripts of Gildas's work that do include the name, but those are like 12th, 13th century manuscripts, so probably the name wasn't originally there. Be that as it may, there is at least by beads time so you know talking about like the 8th century so yeah so by the 8th century at least we have this kind of reference to this figure Vortigern by name who is as I said this kind of 5th century warlord so this is clearly who they are referring to uh with this uh Lake Vortigern and I will note that while there is not a Lake Vortigern, there is a lake that connects the figure of Vortigern with Arthurian mythology in that there is a lake called, my apologies to anyone who actually speaks Welsh because I'm pretty <laughs> sure I'm pronouncing this wrong, called uh, Lindinas in uh, Wales.
1: I believe it's Flindinas. Uh, Lindinas. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong too, but I, I think I was closer. <laughs>
0: Okay. I uh I do actually I, know, I, I know somebody that the, who speaks Welsh, but I forgot to uh I forgot to ask him for uh, yeah, a pronunciation guide in this episode.
1: I, I do know that the double L is a flut sound. So
0: Right. Okay. So uh so Flindin so, uh, so Flindinas is sort of at least the Close. name of this lake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah close-ish. And uh, so that he and so that there is this lake, and according to legend, Vortigern hid the throne of Britain, like. In this lake,
1: it just the which chair seems hard. Just, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Which seems hard,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but you know, yeah, um, why not? <laughs> yeah, so
1: we got swords why... in lakes. We got chairs in lakes. We got
0: <laughs> yeah, just whatever. Throw it in a just, just throw it in the lake, whatever.
1: Ladies in lakes, uh...
0: <laughs> Got watery with these watery tarts and lakes, throwing <laughs> swords and throws about. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yes, and in some versions, it is actually after a, uh, it's actually a battle, uh, which might have even involved Merlin, so. Cool. Or sometimes other, uh, various heroes who are linked with, uh, Arthurian legend. So, yeah, so we do have uh, this, uh, this connection in, uh, to Vortigern and a Lake, but it is not called Lake Vortigern. That is a, an invented, imagined lake. <laughs> For the Historia et Veritas, I wanted to get into a bit more detail about a particular figure of Arthurian legend, who is of course prominently featured here in this particular adaptation, in fact far more than Arthur himself, which is Morgan Le Fay. Yes. So, first of all, the idea of this figure is probably linked back to Celtic mythology, although there are continued debates raging about precisely which mythology and how and all of those things. And yep. it is very possible that she is some sort of a composite. There are people who feel very strongly one way or the other. Who knows?
1: Since since none of it was written down until long after Christianization, everything related to yeah. Celtic mythology is a debate.
0: Oh, right, exactly. So yeah, not surprising that the uh, kind of particular details surrounding uh, this, uh, this figure and her possible origins are also very much a debate, right? So yeah. uh, she has been connected with both the Welsh mother goddess Modron and the Irish war goddess Morrigan. And it is really interesting in that there is actually even as late as the 15th century in the poems Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, uh, the author actually refers to her as Morgan the goddess. So this kind of link with her and some kind of goddess figure, in addition to having magical powers, which we'll talk about in a moment, is something that does not go away for quite a long time. The earliest reference to Morgan as a distinct figure and character in the context of Arthurian legend actually comes pretty early. So Geoffrey of Monmouth's Vita Merlini in 1150. So and Geoffrey of Monmouth is one of the kind of earliest figures responsible for essentially kind of crafting what Version of Arthurian legend, which would be recognizable to us today, so that there are earlier references to like somebody named Arthur. But he's the first person who starts kind of bringing in some of these details that, that are kind of recognizable as uh, the legend, which will then become further developed. And that a lot of the things that seem most familiar to us actually don't even show up until the 15th century. It's a lengthy process. Mm-hmm. But the first reference to Morgan Le Fay comes in Geoffrey of Monmouth's Vita Marlini. But she is, at this point, a pretty different figure, and in fact, a quite positive figure. We've got these sort of nine, like, otherworldly magical sisters, and she is described as being the most beautiful of them, and also as having the ability to shapeshift and fly, and is also portrayed as a healer. Avalon is her home, and it is essentially this kind of mystical island paradise,
1: yeah, and as I, and as I've heard it in these in these earliest this earliest version, after Arthur and Mordred do a mutual kill on each other at the at the strife of Camlan, Arthur's horribly wounded body is taken by Morgan to Avalon, yes. where he is like slumbering and recuperating until the hour of Britain's greatest need.
0: Yeah, exactly. So that she maintains this connection with Avalon and maintains this role as a healer in a lot of ways, uh, even as she becomes, in a lot of ways, a much more negative figure and one who is, in many other aspects of her narrative, increasingly marked by an antagonism in her relationship with Arthur. <laughs> she is first identified as being Arthur's sister or half-sister uh, by Chrétien de Troyes, who is uh, writing in Old French and who introduces a lot of other aspects of the Arthurian legend, which will become familiar to us. Uh, so for example, he's actually the person who is the, I believe, the earliest extant version that we have of like the Lancelot Guinevere adultery yep. story. That's,
1: that's him. Basically, Lancelot, this uh perfect unbeatable knight who all the ladies love and has the romance with the queen and is better than the king in every way is uh Chrétien de Tois fanfic oc don't steal
0: right and it's also like <laughs> oh uh you're going to make the, the so you're going to like bring in this like french character and this french guy is actually the best one okay uh-huh. okay french dude writing this uh huh <laughs> sure sure fine um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so Chrétien de Troyes is the one who, uh, who introduces that whole situation, but yes, he is also the first person who actually, uh, describes Morgaine as being Arthur's sister. She's also still this, uh, kind of healer figure, and her main role is that she kind of pops up every now and then and, like, heals various heroes, uh, in different Arthurian romances. She, still in Chrétien de Troyes' writing, is this pretty positive figure, But as we move into the 13th and 14th century French prose Arthurian works that she's increasingly portrayed really negatively, it's emphasized that she is uh, born of bastardy, uh, so just as a kind of general, like tarring her reputation. We've got a lot of emphasis on her uh, role as a magical practitioner, so that she has these uh, often kind of explicitly described as sort of dark arts that she's practicing, uh, and she is presented as being trained by Merlin. So we've got this uh, this Merlin Morgaine connection is uh, coming up pretty early. And she's also emphasized as being really hostile to Arthur, but also in some ways, even more to Guinevere, that there is this weird, like, so we have two women, so they hate each other. That makes sense, I, right? We're good?
1: Yeah, I think I think there was like, actually like reasons why. Uh, yes,
0: there are reasons.
1: Like, like Guinevere did something to piss Morgana off. And so she's, so she does all these stunts, mostly to try and like punk Guinevere
0: the whole right yeah the th- whole that's bis- like her main motivation essentially is that she just the, really hates guinevere
1: the whole business with Gwen and the green knight was like was like originally like a plan that like this the shock of seeing this immortal knight get it get beheaded would shock guinevere so much she would just keel over dead
0: right it's like really Which, how uh, was your plan
1: that's the plan
0: and i love it then she's like an ugh and now i have to like do all this other shit for this guy guine yeah.
1: Yeah, and well, and then Gwen and the Green Knight end up like getting along really well in the end.
0: Right. It's like, all right. Yeah. So she, and in some versions, she actually like, she's in love with Lancelot. And one of the reasons that she hates Guinevere is because Guinevere, you know, gets with Lancelot. And one of the things that she's doing Mm. is she's trying to then expose this affair. She also sometimes has a uh, sexual relationship, a sexual or romantic relationship with Merlin. So there's a bunch of things potentially happening.
1: Most of the versions I've heard uh, have Mordred exposing the affair between Gwen and Lancelot. Um, so
0: it's like the like the prose like Lancelot cycle I think has like more has uh Morgan actually doing that
1: okay yeah yeah cause... so it's like some
0: of these French it's like some of these like 13th 14th century French things basically
1: I, the, the summary I was reading like had some had some accompanying comics and one of them uh was like Lancelot off with Guinevere and Lancelot's like gosh I sure do love betraying the trust of my king and and Mordred and Mordred (laughs) who's listening is like I should try that
0: (laughs) right (laughs) but that's the thing is that there's like there's so many Arthurian works and like almost all of them are just a little bit different Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm So yeah, so there's like a lot of different like versions of all of this. But I would say that we do basically like in the 14th and 15th centuries that we really do kind of like consolidate like Morgaine is definitely a villain. So we've already talked a little bit about Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. But yeah, but she also in that is, uh, yeah, she's... uh, portrayed as having orchestrated this whole situation it also kind of adds this weird bit that like oh she learned this all from word from merlin and she learned this all from merlin because they were having sex and like that's (laughs) and like uh the the way it says that in the 15th century is uh that it says she has acquired many of merlin's powers uh, for she had love dealings at an earlier time with that accomplished scholar as all your knights know (laughs) at (laughs) home I mean
1: that's one way to pay for magic lessons sure
0: yeah exactly like it's basically like yeah no like they were just having sex and so she learned all of his magic it's like oh okay fine sure whatever i guess
1: that's how it works Mm
0: And it's also in, uh, and so, you know, Mallory is more to Arthur. She's also very much a nemesis, but uh, is also, as, you know, we mentioned before, right, that she's the one who brings him dying back to Avalon and kind of sets up that whole like once in future king thing, which uh, that line is the Latin version of that line is, uh, I believe, the first appearance of it is in more Arthur. Okay the English, actually, version of that line might be, is, like, you know, is not something that is actually, like, medieval, because it actually only appears in Latin in the, uh, in the original text of Mortarthur. Yeah. yeah, I mean, as, like, the the inscription on his tomb.
1: It's probably a easy enough translation, so, like, oh, yeah, sure. no, it's,
0: like, a very simple translation, but it is mm-hmm. not actually, like, word for word in English in the Mortarthur. That yeah, makes sense. One might notice that there is a, an absence from what we have talked about thus far of one aspect of Arthurian legend which might seem familiar to you including a the connection between Morgan and Mordred that she is his mother which we see here And specifically also the version that is pretty familiar in a lot of uh, Arthurian adaptations, especially more recent ones, which have then uh, Morgane as not only being Arthur's half-sister, but having engaged then in this incestuous relationship with him, which is what then resulted in the birth of Mordred. Yeah. So that's not medieval. No, it's not. Because what ends up happening is that Morgane basically like in the 1980s, gets combined with a completely different person who has just like a similar sounding name, Morgos.
1: Mm-hmm. Who, is, and, who is also Arthur's sister. So, yeah,
0: she's also Arthur's half-sister, and Morgos then is the one who, in various narratives, the earliest being about the 13th century, has this Trist with him sometimes it is presented the incest is presented as being accidental on both sides in that neither of them knew when they had sex that they were siblings sometimes it is only accidental on his side and she knew the whole time and is just that awful <laughs> uh, depends on the version
1: earlier versions than that though don't have the Arthur is Mordred's father aspect at all like it's right just, yeah like,
0: like Mordred is it's... often just like there in a dick
1: Mordred's just the evil (laughs) nephew which is a trope in itself.
0: Yeah yeah so it's uh, yeah so sometimes yeah Mordred is not even Arthur's son and as I said when he is Arthur's son and we have this incest bit the mother is Morgose not Morgaine because they are two separate people with uh, very similar names. And it does seem to have been really like in the, 19, the like early 1980s that these figures get combined into one. So we see it in the film Excalibur, which came out in 1981. We see it in Marion Zimmer Bradley's The Mists of Avalon, which came out in 1983, that they basically combined these two figures into one. So uh, this 1989 serial is actually quite a uh, cutting edge representation in some ways of uh, Morgan Le Fay. Yeah. But yeah, and I find it really fascinating that that version of the story is one that has uh, really kind of seeped into the popular imagination very quickly and be like, oh yeah, Morgan, the sorceress, she's definitely the one who is the mother of Mordred. And uh, then yeah, we have this kind of incest thing. Like that's become very much what people see as standard Arthurian legend. And yeah, I find it interesting that it is like such a recent development. Mm-hmm everyone etherean legend is again varied yeah and also uh as i said like a lot of things you know different things are coming in at different times and yeah so that's that this kind it's, of crucial bit is really late
1: it's all fanfic no base
0: yep yep no i mean i and i find it hilarious that it does just literally seem to be like i mean we don't want to have two characters named more gain and more goes that's annoying yeah so i guess we'll just make them the same person
1: and it must be connected to more dread because their names sound
0: similar, right? Yeah. So yes, exactly. Because like for yeah, exactly. So all right, all right, sure.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So that is some delving into the historical choices, questionable and otherwise, <laughs> uh, made into cereal. And I thought we can get into our fabula nostra and the versions of this story or uh, stories inspired by this one that we might like to tell. So, Elizabeth, I know you said you've actually been thinking about yes. this for a while, oh, so you should go first.
1: I, I'm excited about this one. I was I was kind of inspired by like in, in the original legends, like Merlin is omniscient, uh, which is mm-hmm. hard which is hard to write. Also in the original legends, uh, he's not around for like the final battle between Arthur and Mordred because he's been sealed away in a tree or a cave or something uh, by Nimue, but he is omniscient. And so my my idea for a a story is uh, one where Merlin is sealed away, but he left behind notes. And so Morgan Le Fay and uh, Nimue, uh, who is Merlin's apprentice who sealed him away, for whatever reason it, it varies from telling to telling.
0: Right. Um, and also a figure who in some later versions often gets combined with Morgan Le Fay.
1: Yeah. And I'm I'm personally fond of the uh, of the Arthur King of Time and Space version where, where it's a where it's completely an accident but none of the but neither of them can undo it. <laughs> um, right. And so Morgan and Nimue and Sir Bedivere are running around trying to like follow these notes and try and stop like all of the horrible inevitable final confrontation between Arthur and Lancelot and Marjorie. Mm-hmm. Ultimately they fail but what uh, Merlin's notes di- does Mer- what Merlin's notes do is put them in the places that they are at the end of the story uh, oh, where Morgan uh-huh. where Morgan Takes Arthur's body away to Avalon, and Bedivere and Nimue go off to hide the sword.
2: Mm, okay.
1: And so I, I've even thought about some casting for this. I think as my as my Morgan, I'd like to have Jenna Coleman. Who is, okay. I don't know if you've seen her in anything, um, but
0: The name sounds really familiar.
1: She is a she is a far more recent Doctor Who alumnus. Uh, oh, okay. She plays uh, companion Clara Oswald who was companion from 13 through 15 and for the part of Bedivere I think that would be a good role for Michael Sheen.
0: Oh okay yeah. Yeah.
1: He's got that he's got that sort of like I'm a nerd but I can also wield a sword energy. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And as Merlin I would just cast Sylvester McCoy.
0: Fair enough. Because
1: he can do old wizard like he, yeah. he has proved that time and again. Like, aside from the Doctor, his best known role is Radagast the Brown in the in the Hobbit. Oh my god!
0: That oh my god! He is. Uh huh. Oh wow!
1: There was a meme when the when the first Hobbit movie came out. It's it's a quote from a companion of the eleventh Doctor named River Song who says, "I hate wizards in, in old stories. They always turn out to be him."
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh that is that is fun
1: yeah so that's that's my idea yeah and and so like in and so in amongst like all this like grand epic confrontation between like there's Lancelot and Guinevere over here and mm-hmm. Arthur and Gwen over here and Mordred doing his own thing we've got Morgan and Nimue and Bedivere trying to like running around desperately trying to stop everything from going horribly Excellent. wrong
0: Excellent. That sounds great. (laughs) That sounds very fun. So I came up with Inspired by the Doctor as Merlin thing, a alternative or additional uh, Doctor Who episode about that other big medieval legend, Robin Hood. There are, as I've talked about previously on this podcast, and first of all, there are far too many Robin Hood adaptations, but, you know, (laughs) be that as it may, so it is, you know, it really means a lot that I'm actually suggesting another Robin Hood adaptation, because usually my attitude is please stop making Robin Hood adaptations, but, uh, so, okay, what is actually sort of interesting about the Robin Hood legend is that there are, when you kind of look at the development of that legend from the earliest versions of it in the late Middle Ages up into the present, that there are a lot of discrepancies. Uh, In some, he's just kind of a thief that's charming. In some, we have this kind of steal from the rich to give to the poor. And some, he might be placed in like the late 12th and early 13th century. That's what we, uh, is, has become pretty common now, but arguably in the earlier versions, he's really supposed to be more like the late, the sometime in the 14th century. So what if this is because they're all the doctor (laughs) popping up in different moments in time, maybe even just in a dimension that is analogous to our own, like this one, And that uh, we have these kind of various and it's like, oh, well, like, well, first Robin Hood was in the 14th century. And then like the doctor showed up and kind of did the same like character. uh, But in like the, you know, in like the end of the 12th century and then they just like combined them.
1: That does sound fun. Um, I will I will say there is an episode from 2014 starring the 12th doctor and Clara Oswald. So Peter Capaldi and Jenna Coleman called Robot of Sherwood where they mm. do in fact meet robin hood and the doctor gets very annoyed because robin hood isn't real <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't be here you're not real go away
0: <laughs> is that because i assume is that because he is a robot yeah i will i will
1: leave that okay. until we watch okay. the episode this is my
0: this is my guess from the uh, from the title so we'll, well but we'll leave it for now i don't
1: i don't actually remember the episode that well. Oh, okay. i only i only remember the scene where uh It's the it's the uh, old story of Robin Hood and Little John having the uh, duel on the very tiny bridge, except Uh it's Robin Hood and the doctor and the doctor doesn't have a sword. He's using a spoon that he pulled out of his pocket. Um, (laughs) And the doctor almost wins, I think. (laughs) Oh, wow. So it's fun. All
0: right. Yeah, I look forward to that. But yeah, so uh, so that's my version is that it turns out that uh, maybe Robin Hood isn't real, but that's because the doctor is like ends up kind of accidentally uh, posing as the figure who then becomes the basis for Robin Hood. Nice. And then he can be annoyed about it. Like, Fuck, I created Robin Hood. Why did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. Now we can, I think, move on to our estimatio or rating of the serial. And... I'm actually going to go ahead and give it a four out of five. Is the history good? No, no, absolutely not. It is, it is bad, but I could excuse it because it explicitly states that this is actually essentially all happening in another world. And so that's just my version of this. It's just like, oh, okay. Yeah. They have 14th century armor. Cause they're not really from the eighth century. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and also they shouldn't be from the eighth century anyway, but also like, whatever it's, it's a, it's not, it's not in this world. It's just like a weird thing that's happening in another dimension.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I'm also going to give it some points because I, I actually think like this serial is maybe the best I've seen in terms of really, I think, doing an excellent job of portraying women characters.
1: It really does.
0: Yeah. I mean, I love Ace as a companion. I really, really like her relationship with Cho Ying, which by the way, does pass the, they do pass the Bechdel test because they have mm-hmm. a conversation about uh, explosives. Uh-huh. so it passes the Bechtel test at least there oh I think also actually it uh it well, might technically pass with uh Morgane like mind fucking with various people uh I think some of the conversations oh, after her doing too. that actually also pass the Bechtel test
1: yeah
0: so yeah so it actually I think it might be the first serial I've seen that really does like it passes the Bechtel test multiple times uh, I think
1: the visitation did once or twice. Visita-
0: but... okay the visitation might have yeah but but yeah, but this I was I was like all right, you're, you're doing a pretty good job and I think Morgane is an excellent villain uh, who even like has a little bit of depth. I think she's a, I think she's really interesting. Yeah. Like, Bambera like, is what, what, great.
1: What's her deal? I, I, I want to know more. We, but also I think she works best as, a, as like a kind of villain that like you don't know more.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, there's definitely a lot that we don't know about her, but I think that's okay. And as I said, she has... Like, she's not just, like, cartoonishly evil. Like, she's got some complication to her, even if we don't know everything. So I I think that's really well done.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Uh, So I'm going to go ahead and give it a four out of five.
1: I'm going to give it a five out of five. Uh, (laughs) I love everything about this. It's always... Like, like, uh, the Seventh Doctor and Ace are my favorite TARDIS team. It's always excellent to see the brigadier again. I love every character in this serial. Yeah. I love everything about it. It's, yeah. it's, it's fun. It's good.
0: I'm just mostly, I'm mostly taking off points for like the eighth, because I like, I'm like, why, why, why the eighth century? Why? and That's the fair. Scabbard. Yeah. yeah. I'm taking off a lot for that scabbard. Yeah that like perfect condition scabbard, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's what knocks it down to a four out of five. But I think it is fantastic and I would definitely recommend it. Yes. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining me once again to talk Dr. Who on Media Evil.
1: Yes, I was, I'm was. i always happy to be here. This is fun.
0: And are there other places where the listeners could find you on the internet if they so desired? I mean, I'm active
1: in the, in the Media Evil Facebook group. I also tweet sometimes. I'm at Lizzie Strider. I'm not necessarily an interesting person, but but I exist. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And you can find this podcast on all of your preferred podcatcher apps. If there's one in which it is missing, please do let me know. Please find us there. If you've enjoyed this episode, rate and review on your podcatcher of choice. And I'll read new five-star reviews in future episodes. Please also follow the podcast on Twitter at Media Pod. Uh, join our aforementioned Facebook group. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah If and if you have any questions or suggestions, I'd love to hear from you via email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. So Elizabeth, thank you again.
1: Yes, it's, uh, yes, I'm happy to be here.
0: <laughs> and thank you all for listening to Media Evil. Bye. Bye. <sighs> Bye.